Yes. So, today we are here to discuss on the significance of the Durga Puja. As the, it falls on the Ashtami day, the Mahashtami. So, yeah, sorry, it falls on the Mahanavami. On the Ashtami, we had the special puja yesterday online. And thank you all for participating on the online puja. And today, on the Navami day, we are here to discuss on the significance of Durga Puja. So I will share the screen, screen to uh, have the discussion in, uh, so that you can also relate to it in a much better way. So Sri Ramakrishna used to say that Brahma and Shakti is Abheda. And they're identical. The absolute reality which is being represented, which is being nomenclatured as Brahma. And when that Brahma finds expression as Shakti, the entire universe, the phenomenal existence is nothing but the expression of energy as we know that energy and matter are interconvertible. Everything at last can be transformed into energy. So the entire universe we can say is nothing but the expression of energy. But that energy is not the absolute. Behind that is that absolute conscious reality, the Brahma, which finds expression as Shakti. And Sri Ramakrishna used to say that they are identical. And in a very nice, in his uh, very simple way, he used to describe a snake while lying coiled motionless is also a snake. And while it is moving around is also the same snake. The same absolute reality finds expression as a phenomenal world. And when it finds expression as this phenomenal existence, it always finds expression as Shakti, as energy, and that energy again is something which follows certain laws. It is within rhythm. To give an example, an audio, and just an iron bar is not a magnet because its dipoles are all scattered. If somehow all the dipoles are aligned in such a way that all the north poles are in one direction and the south poles are in another direction, then that iron bar gets converted into a magnet. And immediately we find that the magnetic energy which was potentially hidden in that iron bar now finds a manifestation as energy, as Shakti. And not only that, <clears throat> the moment it finds expression as Shakti, it follows certain laws. It's not chaotic. So the entire creation the ultimate reality can be is nomenclatured in our scripture as Om. Brahma is the Om. The Vija for Shakti is Rim. And that Rim, again, is not chaotic. It finds expression as the laws, as the commandments, as the fundamental principles. And that's this laws in Sanskrit is known as Ritam. Om, Rim rhythm. The absolute reality finds expression as Shakti and that also follows certain rhythm. So that's what the absolute reality is. 
So now the question is that we that what the absolute Godhead is. We find in all the religion the absolute Godhead is described as a male principle. So here in the Vedic tradition, we find that's a wonderful that he's beyond the absolute reality is actually beyond the idea of any sex. It is neither male nor female. But when it finds expression in the phenomenal world, it can be uh, expressed as it can be worshipped as either the male or the female. God is beyond all such nomenclatures, all such polarities. But when as a human being, because of our limitation, when we try to conceptualize the divine, we can conceptualize in any way. That was a wonderful democracy in the Vedic civilization that they were not regimented with the doctrines and dogmas. As per your temperament, you can worship the ultimate reality the way you like. And we find that the worship of the divinity as the mother is something very prevalent from the very early history of the Vedic civilization. A wonderful thing we find that in our society, in the Vedic society, the female had the same right for the spiritual evolution as the male. They were the counterparts of each other. So we find there are a lot of Brahmavadinis. Just like the Brahmavids, we find the Brahmavadinis. There were many rishis who were female, who were women, and who reached that absolute realization. And we find the mention of that, that when they go to that spiritual realization, from that realization with a sense of oneness with the entire universe, they're speaking out something which speaks of their realization. And those are all we find in the Vedas, in various places of the Vedas, they are mentioned. So one such Brahmavadin is the Rishi Vak. And it is she who is considered to be the, the one who has composed the Devi Sukta and the Devi Sukta of the Rig Veda. So she realizing her identity with the absolute, she pronounced Aham Rashtri Sangamani Vasunam Chikitusi Prathama Yagyanam Tamma Deva Vyadadhu Purutra Bhurishthataram Bhuri Avaseyantim. So I'm the queen, the gatherer of the treasures, the, all the treasures. I'm the gatherer, means I'm the collective uh, expression of the entire universe. They are the knower of the Brahman the first chief of the object of Yajna. The gods have dispersed me in many places, having many abodes, causing me to pervade many. So whenever we read the word Deva in Vedas, most of the time we translate it as the celestial beings. And then it does make sense, but it makes sense in a very limited way. But in Sanskrit, the word Deva came from the root div, which means to illumine. So in a sense, when you're trying to find the ultimate reality in the external world, yes, we find the celestial beings in the form of the uh, forces of nature. It's there. But actually the word div 
if we translate it that that which illumines what illumines us all our senses so in sanskrit in the vedas the senses are also called devas it is through the senses this world gets illumined so it is the through the senses we are constantly getting uh, this illumined and that's why these senses are also called the devas so this through this uh, when these senses the ultimate reality through the mind and the senses where is finding expression is projecting itself it projects itself as the universe the universe outside what i see is actually the projection of the ultimate conscious principle through the mind and the senses the way the light the white light while passing through the prism breaks into the spectrum similarly this phenomenal existence in the vedas again and again has been existence has been spoken of as something as the ultimate reality finding expression through the mind and senses and breaking into the spectrum of this world of name and forms so that's the wonderful idea we find and now as the science is developing we find that it is something which reflects the reality that again and again we give that common example that how the perception is happening what's there in the external world we never know just take a red flower the redness is not in the flower it is just a wavelength of light that comes and strikes my eyes it gets converted into nervous current which is carried by the optic nerve to your brain the so called color perception center is not perceiving the color it is just a particular nerve impulse which is projected when it re- when this nerve impulse goes and strikes your is is being perceived by your color perception center the color is actually projected by that color perception center to envelop the so called unknown object and give its redness so this is what the modern science will say you this is a hallucinating universe why it's be reality it's actually reality because it is a consensus reality we all hallucinate in the same way that's why we say it's real it's a mac question of majority if someone hallucinates in a different way we say he he's may having some or she is having some mental aberration so that's why nowadays they don't use the word diseased they say he or she is bit different but the reality is nothing but the consensus reality and that's how it's happening how nicely the vedas we find have described by diving the rishis rishis are the mantra drashtas they have seen the laws of the universe so it is not that the rishis ever claim that we are the one who invented them because it is already there we just removed the covering of the knowledge which was there it was a discovery covering of that there is remove the covering of the inherent knowledge which is already there and those who discovered remove the covering they are the rishis and so many rishis we find are the women are the females of those vedic society who had the full right to practice the spirituality and go to this highest spiritual evolution from where they find their identity with absolute reality that they are the brahman and when they find that where they are finding expression as the universe it is that one non dual principle alone which is finding expression as the universe so that 
expression can be thought of either as the male or as the female. So we find this idea from the very beginning of the Vedic society. There's a Durga Gayatri, which is in the Yajnika Upanishad. It is one of the very commonly chanted uh, verse in our Durga Puja, which has been adopted there. This what is that? Katyayanaya Vidmahe Kanya Kumari Dhimahi Tanno Durgi Prachodayat. We know the daughter of Maharshi Katyayana. So Durga actually evolved in the Rishi Katyayana's hermitage. We will just have a small discussion on it. We meditate on the divine virgin, Kanya Kumari. May the unconquerable one inspire us. You know, it's, Gayatri is a particular chanda. There are many Gayatris. What are that? that, in, that are, there will be three lines and in each line, there will be seven syllables. So this is the rhythm, which is known as Gayatri. So that is as per the rhythm is concerned. And they all have a particular meaning. What's the meaning? That what I see, what I know with my senses, with my mind, is not the, is not the reality. The reality is something else on which I meditate. And when I am meditating on that, it is not me as a physical being who is meditating. That in the Bible, we find there is a very wonderful uh, statement of Jesus. Worship the spirit by the spirit. So all the Gayatris actually signifies that. That the one whom I am worshipping is not the physical. The one who is worshipping is not the physical entity. Both are the spiritual entity. And it is the same entity which once get identified, the delusion falls off. So the Katyayana, as per the uh, history, as per the legend goes, that Durga was born in the hermitage of Rishi, this Katyayana. So he was born in the Bhamana Purana, it is mentioned. So in the hermitage of Katyayana, he was born actually uh, according to the Vamana Purana, once the gods had gathered to discuss the atrocities of Demon Mahishashura and their anger manifested itself in the form of energy rays. The rays crystallized, crystallized in the hermitage of Katyayana. He was a Rishi who gave it proper form. Therefore, she is called Katyayani. So this is the legend. So it is something physical. But behind that, the, what is the real nature of her? She is actually this Katyayanaya Vidmahe speaks of the physical thing. Behind that, she is a Kanya Kumari. She is not something who was produced in that particular point of time. She is the eternal virgin. The divinity is always expressed when it is expressed as a female in the pristine female form. She is expressed as a virgin, unadulterated, un polluted behind all uh, what you say that dependencies it is something which is pure pristine so that's the eternal divine virgin she is that there is no distortion in her there is no change in her there is no transformation in her she was she is she will be so just see the katyayana vidmehe the one who i'm seeing as the katyayan naya as the katyayani as the daughter of 
Rishi Katyayana. She is actually the eternal divine principle. Tanno Durgi Prachodayat. So within me, now, I find that what is the Durgi here? The Durgi is something, the force within me. <clears throat> the word Durga means uh, obstacles. So we will come to that word, that what that the, all the energies which helps us to get rid of that energy through, through all, the, all those obstacles with the help of tapas, with the help of austerity. That is Durgi. So that is within me. With that spiritual force, I have something within me in spite of all the obstacles which I face in my life. There is a force within me which can transcend that all. So that should be awakened. Let the Durgi be awakened. And with the help of that, Prachodat, I am trying to contemplate on that eternal Kanya Kumari. So it is the worship of the spirit by the spirit. So all the Gayatris, any Gayatri, that is the basic idea. One is the rhyming, that is just the physical aspect of it. And another is the significance, where you are worshiping the spirit by the spirit. Just by realizing the thing which you are worshipping is actually in essence the spirit. The one who is worshipping is not the physical thing. I am not as a physical being worshipping that Lord. The real me is eternal. It was, it is, it will be. And the thing which I worship, worshipping in reality is that eternal. It was, it is, it will be. It is the identification of this two. That's what the real spiritual uh, evolution speaks of and that is being represented by the Durga Gayatri where the female where the divine principle is thought of as female. Next we will find that not only in the Vedas in the much later time even in uh, our uh, the Chandi this is one of the most uh, read then during the end and all the days of the Durga Puja, this Chandi part is something which is almost mandatory. And we find that those who are the Shaktas, those who are the followers of the Shakti, of the divine principle as the female, there we find that this Chandi is just revered just the way Bhagavad Gita is revered for the other uh, denominations of the Hindu religion. So in Chandi we find that the divinity is being as expressed as three Devi. The all-encompassing and the supreme manifestation of Shakti worship finds expression as three Devi, as corresponding to the three Gunas, as the three female forms of divinities. And they actually represent the three Gunas. The entire creation is nothing <clears throat> but the conglomeration of these three gunas, sattva, raja, tama. These are the primal constituent of the entire creation. What it can be spoken of, raja speaks of energy, tama speaks of uh, the dullness, inertia, energy, inertia, and the sattva is the balance between the two. To give a common example, when you are about to start your car in the morning, the car was in the tamasic state, inertia. And then now when you start, you accelerate it. It is full of rajas and you cannot accelerate it forever. 
after some time when it has gathered the desired speed speed now it is in the state of sattva just i am giving an example to understand that what's the sattva now you don't have to exert it has all it was in an inertia state state of motionlessness it has gathered the motion but now you don't have to exert anymore you don't have to accelerate it continues in that flow without much uh, endeavor of course the friction is there so you have to again accelerate but what's the thing that it has gathered the motion and now you don't have to exert anymore it continues in that state so if you understand that way the entire existence is that nothing else it's a balance even if you go to the very uh, initial theory of the big bang anywhere now big bang if you say it's not a valid the way the earth is revolving around the sun it is neither flowing off it is not going it is not going and crashing with the sun it is not being absorbed by the sun nor it is being thrown out by the sun it is revolving in a particular orbit he speaks of the sattva the rajas and the tamas is balanced there so these are the three forces which can explain the entire creation that's what the idea behind the idea of these three constituents <coughs> this sattva rajas tamas can be explained in various ways this is one of the ways which we are trying to understand to understand the entire creation that from this basic point that they are the primal constituents sattva rajas tamas now in chandi we find the tamasic aspect of the divine mother has been described as mahakali the destroyer the first uh, chapters the first section deals with the mahakali the three sections in chandi the first section the uh, the devi who is the adhishtatri the devi who is the adhishtatri of the first part of the chandi is mahakali and the next the second part it is mahalakshmi it is the rajasic aspect of the divine mother and she is the sustainer and the last section we find the sattvic aspect of the divine mother as the maha saraswati the creator you will find it's a wonderful idea even if the ultimate divine reality is something which is beyond any change god is what he or she is the ultimate reality is neither expressed as he or she in vedas in vedas whenever they speak of the ultimate reality they speak it as tat it's a neuter gender it's beyond any uh, this polarities it is expressed that way but now when i'm thinking of it as a female principle yes as i have spoken of it is spoken of as in three ways first as mahakali mahalakshmi mahasaraswati what it speaks of that though the ultimate reality is beyond all polarities beyond any evolution god never evolves but we as human as we evolve our concept of the divinity goes on evolving the divinity never the real divine principle never evolves but in the vedas this wonderful scope was given that yes as a human being as we evolve the concept of divinity is bound to change and this actually has enabled us not to be fanatic that this is the last opinion about divinity no as a human being yes the divine cannot change that we we also agree 
but the concept of the divinity is bound to change as we evolve i haven't realized the divinity but as i am evolving my concept of the divinity is bound to change and i cannot regiment it with the doctrines and dogmas and that evolution is wonderfully spoken of in the chandi in the with the idea of this three aspects of the divine first is mahakali the destroyer just take a human society now when we try to understand the divinity as the destroyer as a very powerful thing destroying everything we cannot relate but think of our ancestors who were food gatherers every day they have they used to go to the forest every day they used to go to the forest to gather their food in the form of roots herbs fruits or even uh, killing other animals to have their flesh as their food whatever it may be the everyday challenge was there they don't know that what they are going to get at the end of the day and that challenge was there and in, in the form of the predators in the form of the enemies of the other tribes constantly they have to deal with the predators and the other enemies and now you think for such a society the concept of divinity is what a powerful being who can help me to get rid of the predators to annihilate the predators to annihilate the enemies and in from that point of view the concept of divinity as the destroyer it finds to be quite appropriate for that and that was the concept of divinity but it is evolving in the next episode in the next section of chandi we find the divinity the concept of divinity is being described as lakshmi the goddess of wealth the she who sustains the universe as the way the wealth sustains us she is there with all the wealth to sustain us there is a rajasic aspect of the divine mother and now you may say that how you can justify the god as the uh, one who is having all the treasures she is a lakshmi now you find from when we evolved from food gatherers to food producers as we evolved we learned agriculture our ancestors learned agriculture they started staying in villages now for a part of the year they will cultivate their land and they will store their this yield in the granaries and now the question of sustenance comes that if famine is there if drought is there then you cannot cultivate you cannot store and now the question of your social security is gone so the wealth becomes the criteria of your social security so from food gatherers when you become a food producer now your concept of divinity is changing it's not the one who will be destroying is the one who will be sustaining you through your wealth the everyday challenge of the predators and enemies is gone now you have to certain extent a stable society you have to sustain yourself if the wealth is gone you cannot sustain so now the concept of divinity has changed from the destroyer to the one who is the there to bring prosperity the mahalakshmi now after that the evolution doesn't stop you will find with prosperity lot of evils come if you are keen at the news you will find 
one of the basic problem with prosperity is a sense of meaninglessness comes. Everything I have, what to do with my life. In the European countries, we find suddenly that news will be there. At night from nowhere, a few, this miscreant, this, uh, some people came and broke all the, the glass pens of the shops, destroying that they don't know what to do with the affluence and they start thinking that the affluence is a curse. So what happens, you know, is very interesting. When you have a very stable society with your wealth, with your, your food to sustain yourself, now the big question, big challenge comes, what to do with the laser? I have a lot of laser. Now, I don't have everyday challenge to go out, gather food. I have sufficient food. I have sufficient to sustain myself. Now, what I do with the laser? Then, with a stable society, the art and culture, this art and culture is, starts evolving. That is the sattvic aspect. All the art, your music, your poetry, your literature, even to certain extent, the spirituality, unless you go to the ultimate spirituality, all the myths, legions, everything starts growing and which sustains us. You will find that in the, even now in India, we find that throughout the day, the villager is working at night, he comes back and there will be Ram Katha. They're reading the legions of Rama, all the villagers enjoying and that's how they enjoy their laser. They sustain themselves with their laser hours. If there's nothing to sustain, they will become distractive. The energy which they have gathered through the evolution that should be channelized through art, through this uh, faculty of the pursuit for knowledge, through the pursuit for culture. And now you find the divine aspect has taken that form of Saraswati, the creator. This, through her knowledge, she's creating the art, the culture. So you will find a wonderful way that the universality of the divine principle has been accepted. That the, though the divine principle is something <clears throat> which is beyond all change, she's the Kanya Kumari, as we just studied in the previous verse. Yes, she's the eternal virgin. Nothing can change her. Nothing can pollute her. <clears throat> Nothing can distort her. She is the changeless principle. But she, when we are trying to understand her from the human perspective, as we evolve, the concept of the divinity is going on changing. And that gives the wonderful Catholicity to that religion where we find still today, it's allowed. I can worship my principle of divinity in my own way within the family fold three or four, all the members can have their own way of worshipping the divinity. That was the concept of Ishta. And there cannot be any clash. There's a wonderful democracy there. So that's the idea we find in the Chandi. If we read Chandi between the lines, it has many ideas. We, can, we, we will take up this Chandi itself as a discussion in some uh, other, uh, in some, uh, other occasion. But today, just this, if we try to understand that how the divine principle, though it is the same, its concept changes as we evolve. And that has been how nicely described in Chandi. The sequence in which the three manifestations of the divine mother has been described in Chandi has been spoken of as a 
is very significant. We already described that. The food gatherers, the fear of the other tribes and predators, struggle to kill the enemies. So Kali comes as the principal, the destroyer. And with food producers, the abundance, and, there's the, and then we, come to, we find the Lakshmi comes as the divine principle. And with the laser, the art and craft, this, this comes the creative aspect. The Saraswati comes as the divine principle. So that's what is being described in Chandi. Now let us come to the meaning of the word Durga. So we find uh, in two ways uh, the word Durga has been uh, interpreted. The first is Dukkhena Gamyate Ya Sa Durga. The one who can be attained through intense austerity. That the Durgi Prachodayat. That's the idea here. That lot of austerity. I have to uh, attain her for that it needs austerity, tapas. So it actually speaks as if she is something very hard to attain. But the next definition again is almost the opposite meaning. What? Durga si Durga Bhava Sagar Naura Sangha. One who rescues the devotees from Durga. Not Durga, Durga. There's, Durga means the divine principle and Durga means difficulties. So this little difference in the pronunciation can make it to have totally, totally different meanings. So the, who rescues the devotees from Durga or various crises and afflictions in life. The first principle says that as is the first definition says that only through endeavor you can attain her. And the second definition says that she is there to rescue you from all the crises. So it apparently appears to be that's conflicting, but actually both are speaking the same thing. That yes, through endeavor in life, we have to attain something. Durga is not something outside. As a divine principle, she is within us. You have to attain through austerity. And once you attain, you will find all the so-called challenges of life can be easily can be easily overcome by the Durga which has manifested through your austerity in you. And that makes sense. In life, if you have to achieve anything, it is always through endeavor. The thing which I am trying today, tomorrow it becomes a flow. That when I start learning music, my skills are something which cannot meet the challenge. So I have to endeavor, a lot of intense austerity is there. I have to endeavor, go on endeavoring. I don't like it, but I have to go against my will, my inertia and go on trying. It speaks of austerity. A time comes, I become quite adept in the music. My skills now meet the challenge. And now you enter a flow. And that flow enables you, you can go get so much absorbed in the music, in the music which you have become, which has become a spontaneous part of your life. It can enable you to even just simply uh, shadow the other problems of life. That you have learned something by which you can get absorbed, go into flow, and that can enable you to get rid of depression, dejection. You will find with the affluence, this depression, dejection, all those things comes because you don't know what to do with your laser. But as you have learned through austerity, certain skills, 
which can enable you to enter into a flow. There's such a deep contemplation, which can make you forget other things. And that way, Durga can become something, can become a divine principle who have rescued you from the so-called afflictions in life. So you will find both are speaking of activity. It is actually activity. They are not conflicting ideas. It is the activity through which I enter into a flow where activity is there, but the effort is no more there. It has, the activity has become a flow. So that's the meaning of the word Durga. So now we find how to relate that meaning of the word through the episode of the Mahishasura Mardini. So in the Chandi, we find that episode where Durga is mentioned as the killer of the demon named Mahishasura. So there we will find that Durga is an example of active goodness. So goodness can be three types, you know, there can be three types of goodness, passive goodness, active goodness, and proactive goodness. So with example, let us try to understand that I never harm others. I don't go at night to just put others house at fire. That as he or she is enemical to me, I don't go out and put fire to others home. I'm not that type. But at the same time, I don't reach out to help others. So I don't harm others. I don't others, I don't set fire to others house. I don't set others house to fire. So that is, I'm a good person. But that goodness is passive. Even when I see the next, my neighbor's house is on fire, I don't move out. So no one can blame me, no one can criticize me, no one can put me to jail by saying that you have not moved out to help because I have not hurt the other person. That is in a way it's good, but I forget it is not going to help me. Not only that, anytime the fire which is uh, in the next house may come and engulf me also. So that type of goodness has no meaning. Active goodness is the one who moves out to help others. Reach out, finds that when others' neighbor's house is in fire, I cannot sit quietly, I move out and help. That is active goodness. And what is proactive goodness? I don't even wait for others' house to get to be on fire. That there, that what are the chances that what are the uh, situations that may uh, afflame your house? I study that and I take precautionary steps, measures, and I go on creating an awareness among the people that see, follow these steps, then there is a, no chance that your house will be in on fire. So that is the proactive goodness that you don't depend, you just don't wait for the crisis to happen. Before that, you use your intellect, your intelligence to get rid of the crisis, to avert that crisis. So that is proactive goodness. So among these three, Durga is the one who is an who is the exemplifier of active goodness. Why we find that Brahma is actually the proactive. Brahma, the one who gave boon to Mahishasura. That when Mahishasura did a lot of tapas, the world, the 
rule of the world is if you do austerity you are bound to get the result now what are you going to do with that result that is your choice am i going to use it for a good purpose or for an evil purpose that is my choice but if i use for my evil purpose then that the result which i have accrued through tapas that result itself will be annihilating me this also is a principle in this world all the so called dictators you will find through endeavor they went to a certain position and again as they were using their power to destroy others at last you will find that became the cause of their own destruction and this is the law of the universe so brahma is has created the universe with that type of programming he is the proactive one he has done the basic work that yes you in this world through endeavor you will attain something if you use it for good purpose well and good if you use it for destructive purpose you yourself will be destroyed and that's what is we find that mahishasura when brahma is giving some boon to mahishasura within the boon the seed of destruction is there if mahishasura is going to use it in an evil purpose and now we find that proactive goodness is with the brahma he has he planned the universe in such a way that it can be sustained but in durga we find that when the crisis has already arrived the energy of all the devas created durga the durga was created in the hermit of katyayani by the conglomeration of the rays the energies of all the celestial beings so it speaks of a synergy and that divine principle that is created by the conglomeration of the energies of all the devatas that takes the form of durga to destroy mahishasura so it speaks of active goodness in society that active goodness has to be synergic the one who is proactive is like the a research scholar in the university he may need not have a team work he or she just by his intellectual power can create a structure a framework for the society but to implement that framework we need a teamwork and that teamwork has to be very constructive that speaks of the synergy and durga represents the active goodness finding expression through that synergy where all the divine powers have conglomerated to annihilate the evil forces of life so that's what the episode of mahishasura mardini speaks of the active goodness that we this in society most of us are quite happy we say that we are very religious person we have our rituals at our home i keep myself busy with all those religious things but what good it does to the society so here comes the role of durga we have to reach out we have to reach out and that also not with just some uh, feeling uh, to do some help to others singularly we have to reach out as a group take out some uh, projects by which we can really help others those who are in affliction not only that even in the present situation the global warming we took the example of the fire you know that the fire at your house has caught fire and the entire world has caught fire in the last year we have ex- we have experienced it 
the bushfire was it, it became in a havoc throughout australia and to really get rid of it now yes there is need for some projects intellectual projects that what all steps has to be taken to get rid of the global warming but those projects will fall flat unless there is an synergetic a synergic effort of the active goodness of each and every being to implement those projects to get to have again the green world so you will find that durga is not something just as a divine principle it is something which is within us which has to be energized which has to be activated which has which is now hidden potentially it has to manifest so that we can meet the challenges of life and express that divinity through our life so that's what the real meaning of the episode of durga unless we can do that the worship has no meaning now one thing we will find now if we now we have went through that episode of the durga now how to relate with the rituals of the durga puja what it has to do with the rituals it's a very very elaborate ritual those who are aware of the rituals they will find that throughout the year you have to almost collect the all the so called ingredients which are needed for the worship and for the modern society for the modern humans for the modern mind we will find these are all meaningless but there is a wonderful idea behind this ritualistic worship with that elaborate ritualistic worship you know the first mantra of isha upanishad very nice that isha vasyam idam sarvam yatkincha jagatyam jagat is to certain extent an instruction what is the instruction that en encapsulate envelop the entire world pervade the entire world with the divine whatever you see is actually the divine defy the world is it some is a way of hypnotizing no it is actually dehypnotization the world is actually the spiritual principle because of ignorance i'm seeing it the way i'm seeing it as a perceptual reality the way to dehypnotize ourselves is to see the divine there now how can we do that a wonderful way i will just first give an example and then come to the rituals of durga puja <clears throat> i will speak of a swami of our order he relates the his own personal life experience that when he joined the order the first work that was given to him was a ritualistic worship the first day he entered the shrine <clears throat> he found that perfume is used as one of the ingredients the perfume is used during the worship it is used to uh, spray on the divine form and everywhere in the shrine the smell of the perfume is there now he was a bit puzzled he told i have renounced the world i came here these are the things which distracts me i still remember on my sister's wedding ceremony when i was there before becoming a monastic everywhere there was a smell of that perfume now when i entered the shrine the same smell of perfume distracts me why what is the use of this type of thing why shouldn't the worship should be austere so that it can help us to go beyond the this perceptual senses he goes and complains to the senior swami 
monk that it, this these are the thing very unscientific we shouldn't use the swami just scolded and told see we have never invited you to come and join this order these are the things we follow if you feel it is going to help you well comply to it or else the door is open you can simply leave now this swami after being scolded that way he continued with his worship he continued though that struggle was there after about an year now he is relating a very nice experience that one day he went to went for shopping and when he was going through the various shops the smell of perfume came in from some shop there was there was a perfume shop and now he is experiencing a very interesting thing he is experiencing a very interesting thing what's that that previously this smell was a distracting factor now a wonderful thing has happened after one year of that ritualistic worship he when he is in the hustle bustle of the all the this shopping complex huge crowd lot of noise people are busy with that consumerism culture all are buying things he is in the midst of that and suddenly that smell comes from the perfume shop and now he is experiencing the calmness of the shrine what has happened the law of association previously that smell was associated with something worldly now for the last one year it was associated with the worship and now when he is in a worldly situation instead of distraction it is actually now enabling him to calm down his mind the association has changed so this is a wonderful way we can defy the world now in this elaborate rituals you will find what not is used all the herbs are used pancha kashay pancha ratna various types of stones and jewel stones are used waters of the various rivers and oceans are used soils of various type you know if a bore generally dugs the digs the soil that soil we need the soil from the backyard of a brothel is required and you may say what goodness my goodness why all those things now when you have collected all those things for the worship you had that elaborate worship now you move out to the world when you were passing through the brothel you may had a sense of disgust hatred now or maybe of lust now as you have gone through all those rituals which has associated those things with the divine now you will find the same thing instead of creating that negative emotions is bringing out something positive as it is now got associated with the divine so that's how the rituals helps us to defy the entire world and that why that's why in our worship they say say atmavat deva sevanam whatever you like that the first mango comes to in the season the first mango comes in the uh, in the your in your market you purchase in though you like it don't grab it immediately don't devour it immediately yes it's you who like it but first offer it to the divine now it becomes a something a sacred food a something which is holy now what happens your desires get sublimated you are not crushing your desires you are helping them to sublimate instead of subjugating you are sublimating now the ob- the object of your desire becomes 
the scope for having devotion. With the object of your desire, the scope of devotion has opened up. And that's how we rise in love. It's a very interesting thing. We don't fall. We will come to that at the end of the, uh, this discussion. That we generally, whenever we use the word love, we say they have fallen in love. The entire spiritual practice is to rise in love, not to fall in love. Because there is some another aspect of the Durga Puja. Let us discuss and then we will conclude with that idea. In the Durga Puja is called Sarvajanin. That is a universal, very interesting. Generally, we find that <clears throat> to be spiritual, we have to culture ourselves first. <clears throat> we have to stop from a very coarse way of living, from a very sunset way of living, and have some sattvic, very cultured attributes <clears throat> with which I can communicate with the divine. Here we find in the Durga Puja, it's a development of the Tantra, where each and every member of the society, to whichever strata it may belong, has been actually included in the worship. No one is being excluded. It's a wonderful way the entire ritualistic worship has been structured. It's a wonderful way. <clears throat> now find, we will find that those who are by sattvic temperament, they are the one who are doing the puja, sitting just in front of the mother, all the elaborate rituals they are conducting. For them, they have to fast. They have to do a lot of meditation, this japa. They have to do all the worship, all the ritualistic worship in a very prescribed manner. For that, you have to be quite restrained. Yes, there are people who have reached that type of restraint. So for them, of course, the worship is there. So it is those sattvic people for whom we find that the worship, the main worship is going on. But suddenly at the time of Sandhi Puja, yesterday we had it, uh, not here in our main center in the headquarters, Belumat, it was uh, this, what you say, that was transmitted online. So Vali, <clears throat> though in our, uh, we do a symbolic Vali, it's not the real sacrifice, but we find there's a prescription for real animal sacrifice in a particular phase of that worship, offering meat and wine to the divine. And throughout the world, we find these are very, very, what's the primitive aspects of religion. Why should there be violence? We never understand that Vali in the proper sense. And that's why we criticize. Vali is not licensed to violence. Vali, this is actually the Vali. The sacrifice is actually restraining violence to minimize violence. You may say, you may ask how? In the present society, behind our, what you say that awareness, behind our eyesight, we do, we, these are all in, in an enclosed place called the slaughterhouse in an enclosed slaughterhouse where the society is not seeing where the meat is coming. He just goes to the counter and buys. He doesn't know what extreme cruelty is going on in the slaughterhouse every day. Millions of animals are killed every day. Here I will bring the 
in this context, I will bring the idea of Vali. What Vali was? There meant for that we cannot simply stop the human inclinations. That if anyone has a tremendous inclination for eating meat, I just cannot say that you stop. But what I can do, I can try to restrict, gradually to reduce it. And Vali was actually a way of that. That what it was meant for, if you read the scriptures, wonderful, it was said that yes, if you want to have meat, you can have it only as a offered food. It can be only <clears throat> a food which has been offered to the divine. And you cannot do it every day. You cannot go and just offer it to the divine every day and have meat. Only some prescribed days were there, like Amavasya, some prescribed days were there. Some prescribed animals were there, not that I just go out and eat anything and everything. And that way <clears throat> create a tremendous uh, disbalance in the ecology. Only prescribed animals, on prescribed days, you can sacrifice in front of the divine and then that consecrated meat you can take. And now on the specific, on the special days when we see that the animal sacrifice is going on in front of the mother, we say it's a horrible worship. We forget it is actually way to restrict. It is not a license. And that also, it's not meant for the main pujari. Very interesting. The one who is doing the main worship at the time of Vali, you will find he's no more there. He is not doing the Vali. Suddenly you will find a people of different temperament is coming. They come to prevail the scene at that time. The Vali is done. They move out with the consecrated flesh to have meat and all. In the meantime, what has happened? They have also related to the divine. The society never told that you are of such a temperament. So you have no right for communicating with the divine, to have a commune with the divine. You, with your temperament, have the right. For that, a particular phase was there. A particular slot was there in the worship. So those who are of that tamasic tendency, they also can relate. The sattvic can relate. Now those who are of rajasic tendency, they want to show the, their, what you say, that uh, their display of their wealth, pomp and glory. Yes, there is a, there is a bonanza of offering. Even in Belumot, you will find the people are donating very costly saris and it becomes a heap. Why it is becoming a heap? Yes, there are many people who feel that, yes, I have wealth, I want to spend it in a very nice way as an offering to the divine. And that's how they relate to the divine. Most, and there is a scope for that. There's various upachara. Yes, if you want that you want to sh show off your vanity, pomp and vanity by offering valuable offerings, do it. Know how many it. In the process, you are relating to the divine. Through all those wealth, at last you will find it has got a scope to, for the devotion to bloom in your life. So you are not restricted. Come with all those things. So you find that all temperaments, not only that, very interesting. When the mother is immersed at the time of Visarjan, very interesting. 
that the real immersion happens while the puja is going on in a mirror in a water the mother's reflection falls and the puja this entire puja is very interesting that the divinity resides within me but to worship the one who is within me is so difficult so abstract so what i do i have an image in front of me those who know the entire worship the prana pratishtha is done the image in the image the prana pratishtha is done how the lord who is in me he or she, that he or she the way i think of the divine he or she now is pervading it comes out of me i just bring that divine essence from me and just project it on the image and that's how the pran pratishtha is done now the image is not just made of clay it is not something inert it is palpably something a living living presence it's a living presence chinmay it's no more minmay at the end of the worship the same divine principle is again brought back to your heart from your heart it went and pervaded the image you bring it now the image my worship has been done i cannot do it in an abstract form i have done it this way for that i have actually asked for forgiveness to the divine oh divine i know that you are beyond form but i need some abstract thing for worship why we need some abstract thing or why we need some tangible thing you will find that it's a very 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 scientific that though god is formless why we think of so many forms forget about the forms in our day to day life let us th- start with our thoughts that the thoughts our thoughts are the factors of our distraction so many thoughts but what is the basic nature of each thought each thought has two components nama rupa the moment i am thinking of you immediately i visualize your form in my mind so the thought has two components name and form constant this we are constantly conversing within and constantly visualizing within because of these two components of the thought now when i try to think of the divine as an abstract principle my mind goes on visualizing i cannot stop that that's because each and this thought components has this two thing now to stop that visualizing component it's very scientific to think of a form now that name that form helps you to counteract the other names and forms and easily your mind can be concentrated so you will find a wonderful actually idea behind this thinking of the formless as form so my purpose has done for 5 days i was thinking i will worship i had a wonderful worship by enabling my thoughts my name and form this two components of the thought to be fixed in this now i take the divinity within this has no life now now there are there is a part of the society who wants to relate they saw that few people are relating so intensively they so intensely with the divine we cannot relate now after the prana is taken back now this divine form is open to all in the visarjana there is the idea is a wonderful idea that you can go and touch the mother you can put colors on her you can dance not only that a very classical dance all sorts of vulgar dance you can sing all sorts of songs you can use foul language not only devotional songs you can sing all the so called uh pop songs anything you want 
this total freedom is given why yes there is a section of the society who's yet to culture themselves but somehow seeing others relating to the mother <clears throat> they also felt the urge to relate they are also taken along yes now it's open to you worship has been done now to take this image which is lifeless because the life has been taken back you can go and now this image has no purpose it can be immersed so all the image worship the ideas behind that how the image worship came it has some political significance also there was no image worship in the vedic time even in the post vedic time it's only when the fo foreign invasions happened and the destruction of the shrines and uh, our temples were st started happening there because of the foreign invasion of different cultures then they found that to just to have a permanent structure it can be a danger any time it can be destroyed so whenever i need to worship i create an image after the worship is over just now immerse it and behind that a wonderful science also developed now the immersion is there where all are relating to that image so even in the life of holy mother we find sharada devi at the time of immersion when some outsider were dancing using foul language as it was the worship within the monastery some young novice objected holy mother immediately reprimanded the brahmachari no it is a part of the worship now uh, they can relate the way they want she immediately stopped that brahmachari don't stop them don't ask them to restrict behave in a well way let them behave the way they want and that's how they're relating to the same mother so the mother is there for all the children there is no hierarchy in mother's love that only the mother that the loves a good son not the son who has developed some evil tendencies never happens if i have somehow gone done gone down into the gutter a small child doesn't know the difference between cleanliness and uncleanliness has gone down to the gutter and the mother is calling her come back the child doesn't come back it is the mother the pure mother she has to go down to the gutter to bring the child back and that's what she is doing the mother is not impure she is not tamasic but we are tamasic and the compassionate mother has to take the tamasic form to drag bring us from the dagger from the gutter just to take us up she comes down that's avatarana and that's why we find this through the durga puja this the wonderful concept of atmava deva sevanam comes out where we rise in love where no one is saying us to renounce any of our tendencies or temperaments wherever we are whatever we are start worshiping the divine start relating with the divine with all those things those things which has at at present has taken me spirally downwards the same thing will become the object to take me spirally upwards by constantly sublimating them by devote enabling the devotion to pervade my life through all those temperaments through all those evil tendencies the divinity will sub constantly pervade and gradually sublimate and rise help me to rise in love in english we always say to fall in love as if we fall in love it is only through the worship of the divine we never fall in love we rise in love with all our evil tendencies with with all our uh 
evil, evil ways of life once we start reading with the divine those tendencies can be sublimated and so no one is left alone no one is been told that you are uh, not a part of the society you are a hard criminal uh, the society has nothing to do with you the only place is in the jail no wherever you are all those things which i say evil is not your essence is not your nature it's just an outward covering it can be removed your essence is pure no one is bad the so thing that evil things are just a manifestation out of ignorance for the time being it can be washed away and we can again become one with the divine and that's what the worship of the durga is meant for to take us from wherever we are to to that ultimate reality hating none we are all co-passengers in the same journey towards the divinity we are all co-passengers it's just a passing phase it's just an a, a ride an enjoyable trip where we all are not contenders we all are the co-travelers all having the same goal to reach the divine and there mother durga is there to guide us through this entire process of spiritual journey in a synergetic way not through competition not with the holier than thou attitude not with an attitude that my view is the last view we accept all and we just as a co traveler we all as a children of the same divine mother proceed to the same journey where the ultimate goal is to be one with her so with this we stop our discussion today namaskars thank you namaskar swami ji namaskar namaskar thank you swami wonderful explanation and very nice lecture and yesterday swama was so satisfied